This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that doesn't really love drinking through an earnings fire hose, but what choice do you have? It's February. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, the doctor, the doctor of earning. No, I'm not sure. Doctor of earnings, I'm not sure. The doctor, anyway. Doctor Anirban Mahati, how are you, buddy? I am very good, buddy. Well, I wish I was uh, the doctor of earnings because that would be great. <laughs> well, de- depending upon which earnings it is, it would be great or not. That's right. Hey, what, what does the doctor of earnings do? Do you reckon do they do they pick the good ones? Do they get all? The, maybe they get all the earnings. That'd be nice. I'll oh, well, you you know, I'll just take the good ones, <laughs> and, and and I'll take all the uh, all the actual profits, not the you know, not the profits before. COVID or before this or before that. I'll take the real profits. <laughs> I want to talk to you about that in a minute, actually, mate. So hold that thought. Um, mate, we've got so much going on this week. It is just a stonkingly busy um, uh, earnings week, news week, macro week. Like, there's just so much going on. We are in the last week. Uh, and I, I was going to say last week, thank goodness of earnings season. It's one of those things where when you're going through it, you think, man, how do I keep across all this stuff? And then a week later, you're like, there's nothing going on. What, it's just, it's the weirdest thing. You kind of, you know, it's a bit, bit of grass is grown, a bit of a, by the time the earnings season finishes, you're kind of used to the, the cadence of earnings. Uh, and when it goes away, it's almost like, well, what do we do now? And there's always plenty to do, of course, but it's just a, it's just a weird, weird feeling. Mate, um, let's, let's start with that big macro because, man, so we had the vaccination start on Sunday. We're recording this on uh, Thursday afternoon, normally Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon this week. We had the immunisation jabs start on Sunday. That was unquestionably good news for everybody who wants us to get back to normal. With the exclusion of the anti-vaxxers who can uh, do their own thing. Um, w- that was kind of the big the big, big news. Of course, when we had Craig Kelly resign from the Liberal Party. Uh, it, the, the government now having effectively, not minority government, but equal government, I suppose, if you want to call it that. Um, the bond market, I know you have a view on this, the bond market uh, was effectively, the RBA said, look, no rate rises until 2024. The bond market saying in your face, RBA, maybe it'll be next year. And that's just fascinating in and of itself. Um, the Australian dollar, meanwhile, hitting a three-year high, knocking on the door of 80 cents. Wages were, depending on who you read, soft or the best in five years. Both apparently happen to be true. Facebook, back in the news game, uh, free cash being sent from Facebook to the news agencies just for pretty much doing what they were always doing. I, I tell you what, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember the last time the boss called and said, look, keep doing your job. Here's another couple hundred million dollars just for just for you know just doing your job. Just, just keep doing what you're already doing. I'm giving you more cash just because I want to because I'm because I'm feeling like it. Um, that'd be nice, mate. We might ask we might ask Bruce for that. We'll talk to Bruce a bit later. Uh, see if we can get on the Facebook game. I don't even know what. It, and this is before we even talk about earnings, mate. Like it's just a crazy, crazy week. Um, uh, uh, let me let me start at the top. I, I know you have a view on this. The bond market and the RBA, and maybe the dollar if you want to wrap that in, we can do it separately. Um, we don't care a lot about interest rates as investors, generally speaking. Um, they do, in theory, affect the price of shares if you're someone who follows some of that academic pricing models. And it's kind of broadly sensible, even if you don't necessarily ascribe to the process. Um, the higher rates are, the higher your return should be. The lower rates are, the lower your return should be. That being said, what it should suggest is if rates go up, Share prices should, if not come down, at least have the old politician's favourite downward pressure. And the RBA had told us before, hey, don't worry, you got three years. Just, you know, chill out. Not, rates aren't going to move. The bond market just doesn't believe them. It straight out says, no, nope, we're pricing in increases from the end of next year. I know you have views on all of this stuff, and I'm not even sure what question to ask you other than, like I did last week, I'm going to give you the floor, mate, and say, what do you reckon? As I've always said, they can give me Dr. Lowe's <laughs> job. Um, uh, I've always said... <laughs> So, so Dr. Lowe's big ambition is to have as <laughs> rates close to zero. Bond market says not having nothing to do with that, totally and then right. he wants 
the AUD to be as low as possible, and mm-hmm. the the currency market says not nothing, <laughs> nothing to do with that. So he's fighting like two headwinds. Um, it's incredible. So I, it's incredible. Uh, it's hard. Like I mean. So yeah, there's more bond buying. So the bond buying is supposedly mm-hmm. supposed to pressure the the yields to come down. Uh, that's what the RPA. That's, that's the that's idea, the, right? Oh, yeah. That's one of the one of the tools. Um, look, I think you know I have a. I think the commodity market has been really strong. That has an impact on mm. uh, currencies and you know sort of balance of payments and things like that. And that's I think mm. having an impact. I think the fact that. Potentially, rates may rise quicker overseas than mm. you know they might write, rise here, and it doesn't help. Then, if the rates rise somewhere, uh, it's going to have some impact um, in terms right, of right, know, right. the borrowing costs and so on. So, I think some of that is good. Yeah, sometimes the market also has tantrums. Markets, tantrums, <laughs> the market thinks that rates should rise. The, yeah. the 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 Feds don't want it to, or the Fed, you know, Reserve go- Bank governors don't want it mm. to rise, mm. and they come out and ah, no, no, it's not going to happen. Economy is still weak, and yada yada yada. So, yeah. Um, so again, a lot, lot of the uh, lot of the rates have got to do here in Australia with largely do the propping up what I call the housing market and nothing else, mm. right? Because the rates are not going any. The, the lending is not really going to anything else but to propping up the housing market, which then props up the sentiment, which then props up spending. Um, and I'm using the word propping up because, you know, you can only prop up things for so long until they mm. can't be propped up, right? Because you can, uh, you know, you can carry on your two shoulders something and the weight of it at some point becomes too much to carry. So, <laughs> and you can't keep adding more to it. That's the other thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So there's only two shoulders on which the RBA is mm. two shoulders. So uh, I don't know what to make of it. Uh, mm. Sometimes it's just the market's tantrums is the other possibility. But uh, it's yeah. very interesting that, um, you know, there's these two headwinds that, um, um, the RBA is fighting right now. It's a funny thing about economics, mate. It's, it's one of those things where, I, look, I, as an investor, I'm always happiest when the market is unhappy, right? Because I, I believe the long term is is up, and so I'm, I'm I'm never happier than you know feeling like I can take advantage of bargains. Like you know, during March, April, May, you know, I, I expected the market would come back. I can't say I knew it would come back because you know you can't make promises or guarantees, and hey, anything could have happened. But I, I'm always happy saying, you know what, this will pass. When things start to recover, and I, I kind of feel like the, the economy in general too, like as things start to recover, by definition, you're then in that space of like waiting for the first sign of then things not, you know, they get better to a point and then start getting worse almost by definition. That's what cycles do. And so there's just this, this weird kind of, you know, economy watching vibe of like, it's terrible, it's terrible. Okay, well, it's a little less terrible, a little less terrible. Oh, no, look out, here come the bad times. The bad times, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. Okay, now here they come. Oh, it's terrible. And so you kind of, you know, it's, it's a really difficult thing to try and do as a, as, as a watcher is try and, you know, find the right... Um, find the right balance between all that stuff, right? Like, you know, things getting good is, is great, but then, as you say, because they're, they're being propped up by spending and that's got to go away and there's always something else to worry about. It's kind of the, uh, it's, it, it's a bit analogous to investing, right? There's so much that could go wrong. Uh, often it doesn't, but it's hard, so hard to separate the, 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 the real risks from the potential risks or even they're all real, but only some of them will happen almost by definition. It's a, it's a difficult thing to try and focus on. Um, what I did think was, and again, maybe this is still COVID supported, but, at least what I liked about the all the numbers this week was the wages number. Wages were rising at 1.4%, which again is pretty anemic, but it's actually the best since, I want to say 2013 I saw in one set of numbers. Um, it, and it was actually stronger in the public sector. The private sector was only up 0.3. It did suggest to me, maybe hopefully, that that thing that the IBA has been waiting such a long time for, which is wages growth, that really hasn't been there for, 
I don't know, mate, what, with inflation, 10 years? Maybe longer? I can't, I can't really think about it now, but a long, long time. Uh, that maybe there is something, again, you know, inflation's kind of terrible and then it's good and then it's terrible again. You don't want it to be too high, but you don't want it to be too low. I mean, am I, am I too Pollyanna to think there's at least some sense that in the real world, there is some price inflation maybe finally starting to creep back in? Oh, I don't have a view on, like, I mean, it's, it's a, like, I mean, so it's in my mind, nothing has fundamentally changed, right? So if yeah. we didn't have wage growth in the past, why should we have wage growth now? Right. There's, there's no reason to believe that we should, right? What has, nothing has changed if we think about um, opportunity. So there might be some weird dynamics in mm. play. For example, um, it could be that because there's no input of workers and people from the outside, that certain sectors, for example, yeah, are experiencing right. shortage of people, therefore yeah, yeah, the wages yeah. are going up, right? Mm. Um, it could be. Well, so immigration zero, right? So it's it, it, and we were yeah. running about. Was it was it one and a half percent a year or so? I mean, almost almost by definition, you can in the short, in the long term we know immigration adds to economic activity and growth, but in the short term, you're right. Maybe maybe that's maybe that is all it is. Well, that's that's a that's a potential explanation as that's mm. adding to because I can't think of any other reason as to why. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that you know, it's anemic as you described, but I mean, there's mm. nothing. It's still positive, so that's one thing I can think of. Um, I can't really think of any we'll other. Take it. <laughs> uh, any other uh, any other reasons. Yeah, and, and again, it's hard to know whether this is status quo, right? So, um, now I could I could talk about the dollar because I <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be selfish here. I've got some money in the US. Um, I sold some of our Motley Fool shares. We have we have a, employees are eligible for the Motley Fool uh, share ownership, and I had some shares. And I sold some of those, and because of the whole hassle of transferring money internationally, I got it transferred to my US brokerage account. And my, the good news about that is I got money in my US brokerage account. The bad news is I was going to bring some of it home, and so it's exactly my fault, mate, because when I started looking at it, it was about 77.5 cents, the dollar. Now it's 79.5 cents. So I am, I, Murphy's Law, I am solely responsible for the dollar going up, but so I can't transfer the money back or if I do, I've got to transfer it at a much lower rate than I used to get. And that's why I think I want to talk about, well, not just because of me, but that general idea, you know, the dollars, dollar fluctuates and it's good for importers, bad for exporters, or bad for exporters, good for exporters, bad for importers. It depends on which way it goes. For investors, though, the dollar is opportunity. The dollar is risk. The dollar is a whole lot of things. Um, as it gets towards 80 cents, now we know the long run average is about 83 cents, I think it was the last set of numbers I saw. So from 80, 983 or so when it was floated, um, not to confuse the 83s, it flows in 83 or 84, the average long run is about 83 cents. If you're a, again, this is what, it's so hard to do, right? And, and probably maybe it's even futile, um, but it's worth thinking about. The dollar was at 54 cents, I checked it, during the worst of the COVID crash. Now back to 80 Almost 80 cents. That's a phenomenal movement in, in currency terms. Uh, I mean, as I said, terrible for exporters. Would be great for us if we were traveling overseas, but we can't right now. So we're kind of, the best we can, the best we can benefit from is cheaper TVs and cars and other manufactured goods that are priced in US bucks. Terrible for our exporters. Um, what do you make of the movement of the dollar, the level of the dollar from an investment perspective? How do you think about the, the businesses you buy, the markets you invest in, the times to transfer cash, uh, the way you think about the impact on the various economies, what that means. Just break, break the dollar down for me. Yeah, so at a very high level for me, um, having assets in US dollars is basically like having assets in, it's almost like as good as it gets in terms of having what I call currency neutral asset holding. 
right? right? And, and they call it currency neutral. That's not currency neutral, right? But <laughs> I, I think so, so what do I mean by it? So it's in a funny way, it's actually a very natural hedge, right? Okay. So think about it this way. So during the depths of like the COVID crisis, you know, everybody's portfolios got hit. Yeah. Now, let's say my portfolio got hit by 30%, mm -hmm. right? But the Australian dollar got hit so bad <laughs> mm. that I actually was not that much down in Australian <laughs> dollars. <laughs> that's a good so, point. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, almost, so, that's almost so, exactly right, right? The dollar fell yeah. from 75 odd cents to 55. That's yeah. a fall of, what's that among friends? That's, yeah, I mean, it's close to a third, right? I mean, that's, that's exactly, yeah. or not exactly, but it's almost exactly, you know, exactly the, the, the fall of yeah. the markets. That's yeah. amazing. So, so I, I love, uh, I actually, you know, one of the reasons I like holding um, assets mm. in, 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 especially in US dollars. So like, I mean, basically any reserve currency, mm. um, this is the benefit only a reserve currency has. The reserve currency right. has this benefit of being essentially everybody pegs to it. And, <laughs> um, you know, I think you can smooth out some of these yeah. fluctuations if you think in terms of you know your local currency. Um, it's it's also a great hedge against local inflation, uh, mm. you know, and um, or hyperinflation or something like that. Right? You know, mm. if you were uh, say living in Zimbabwe and you had Zimbabwean currency mm. and <laughs> it was hyperinflating away, but you had <laughs> you had actually stored it in in US dollars, then yeah. actually you you'd have the the benefit of not being impacted by inflation. So, I, I, you know, there's there's some logic, but if, if of course the the flip side is exactly what you talked about is that if you want the money then and there, then I think the fluctuations would matter a lot more to it. So, <laughs> exactly. so it depends on depends on exactly what the scenario is. You know, when I when I'm not looking to touch anything, I think mm -hmm. it's it's a it's an interesting hedge to have um, in terms like of that. investing. What, what about the level and kind of yeah, what to do with it? I like when I invest, like basically I'm only investing that money that I don't need. Let's say for the next five, ten years or so. Right. Um, so I don't really worry too much about currency. I'm also looking for you know sort of things that are going to go up. Hopefully, yeah, okay. uh, some number of uh, times. If they go up some number of times, you know, I'm, like at fifty cents versus one dollar. I mean, that's a, you're giving up a two x potential. Well, that, gain and that's in, that's a bit, currency, yeah, that's right? the only bit that does worry me, right? I'm kind of like I get the broad idea, and at the extremes, I, you know, it's it's so it's twofold, right? I guess it's it's as you say, it's giving up the two x. It's also if the dollar is traditionally lower than x, then just waiting is probably you know, I mean, if you wait forever, I guess it never happens. But it, you know, if you look through through history and say, look, I'm only going to send money to the US when it's above eighty cents, and then I'm going to bring it home when it's less than sixty five cents. It's not the world's stupidest thing to, to do potentially, uh, you know. Just simply, no, I won't say timing it necessarily, but waiting for the right price rather than doing it arbitrarily, as you say, the, the return of the stocks are far more important. But is there a way to do it that, that makes the least? Well, I was say the most sense. I don't mean to say any other way is not sensible, but is there a way to do it that's 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 the cleverest or most sensible way to do it? Um. Well, ideally, like what you're saying, you know, you want to do it when, you know, you're closer on to the average, right? Mm, but mm. like, so, like, you know, here's the thing, right? You could have bought a stock, uh, shares in a company on, say, the New York Stock Exchange during mm. the depths of the crisis, and that <laughs> company could have gone up 4x. So what yeah, okay. if you lost 30% or, <laughs> or, or, you know... Right. 
So yeah. I think it depends on the magnitude. I think it doesn't work okay. if uh, if somebody is looking, you know, to play in the margins, right? So if someone's mm-hmm. playing in the margins where they are basically interested in, you know, I think this is undervalued, and I'm going to buy it, I'm going to sell it in a little bit, you know, when it becomes overvalued. Yeah. Uh, right, okay. But but if you're looking for like you know growth companies, uh, so I was looking at, for example, Twilio, uh, which mm-hmm. has had like fantastic like uh, growth, like that was selling for hundred bucks. Right. Um, you know, or maybe even lower at the depth. Put it in context prices. for us, mate. What is it now? It's like four hundred something. Okay, right. right. So hence the forex you talk about. Okay, hence yeah. the forex. So yep. something like that would, <laughs> you know, like whether you're buying at fifty yeah. cents or eighty cents or seventy cents, it really. I mean, maybe you know, it's much harder to buy at four hundred psychologically than it would have been to buy right, at seven hundred, totally. right? So, yeah. so, so for I think for for multi baggers, I don't worry. Of course, mm. like your know, favorable rate is great. Uh, but for mm. multi-baggers, I don't really worry too much about it. Do, do you, for yourself, regularly transfer money kind of when you have it in terms of investing overseas? Or do, do you wait? Like, how do you, to the extent you, you want to share, how do you think about how you transfer your Australian dollars you're earning into US dollars for investing? Do you kind of just do it when you've got them? Do you do it when, yes. when the rate's attractive? Do you, have it? Do, you, do you think care at all? How does that work for you? So I used to do almost regular transfers for some okay. I I now don't do that anymore. Right. Um, but not for currency reasons, I assume. No, no, not for currency reasons. I have got cool. another account set up, which is um, which allows me to actually keep money in Australian dollars, and it just converts when I buy. Oh, right. Okay, makes sense. Right. Makes sense. So it's like, and, and I buy whenever I have an idea and I have some, some yeah. money in the side. So I'm not which, kind of, which kind of even more, even more regular in one way. If you want to buy something, you just buy it, and you're I currency do, agnostic, yeah. right? Yeah, I'm very currency agnostic when, I, when, okay, I, right. when, I, when okay. I do it. Also, you know, in the past, like, you know, because I was looking to buy a house and stuff, if we've been um, not, mm, mm, mm. Uh, given how expensive real estate is and that you need to have a deposit <laughs> and things like that, you know, sometimes you actually can't invest because, well, you need to put it in this other thing. Correct. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, so, but yeah, largely, like, I'm very currency agnostic. Mm, mm, it's, mm. It, but, yeah. Nice one, man. I like it. Yeah, I, I'm really like I'm, you know, and and it's really funny, you know. Like it's it's all of those things that we talk about all the time. And, and I want to listen to that. We're not we're not you know, um, we're not immune to those same same impulses and challenges and problems that you are. Um, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'll, I'll put the money. I literally, I transferred it to my US brokerage account specifically because it was easier um, than trying to transfer it to Australia for for exchange reasons to do with my bloody. Uh, credit union slash bank. Last time I tried to do it, it was just a mess. So you know what? I'll do it. I'll do it to a US brokerage account. Then I'll transfer it using one of the US, um, probably OX or something like that. No, OFX, sorry. Um, I'll bring it across here. Job done. Easy, easy done. And now I'm thinking, well, hang on. What do I? <laughs> what do I do now? I was always going to leave some there anyway. So that's that's the easy bit. Um, but I'm now trying to work out. Well, does it change how much I bring home? When I bring it home? How much I get for it? Um, and as you say, it should be completely irrelevant, right? It shouldn't matter. Um, it's just it's just funny. You know, we we're going, we go through exactly we face exactly the same impulses, uh, emotions that that our listeners do. I, and I thought it was just worth sharing that just to you know it's, it's sometimes it's tempting to think oh those guys over there that they're, they're somehow you know immune to it. They're professionals. They do it for a quid. I'm not like that. Trust us or trust me when I say I'm exactly like that from time to time. There are some things I do well, some things I don't do so well. Um, the currency thing, I, you know, I was seeing seeing percentage points disappear. I'm like oh that really hurts. I wish I'd done it x months ago and then a weeks ago. Sorry now. And I'm saying, well, do I do it now? Does it go higher? Do I, do I keep myself again because 81 cents? Uh, or do I wait and, you know, with 77 cents, I'll transfer it then? Um, look, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's actually fractions. That's the other thing, right? It just doesn't matter. Um, I, I, and funnily enough, you know, it's weird, mate. I would happily buy shares without, without obsessing over the equivalent of 
3%, which is effectively what the difference is between 77 79 cents, right? It's just, it's immaterial in any, I mean, it's real dollars, but, you know, if, 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 I, if it was 82 and went down to 79, I'd probably do it because it's gone from 77 up to 79. I'm, I'm pausing or hesitating. Um, it's, a, it's a funny old, funny old world, mate. Our, our brains are funny things. So, so I'm going to help you out here, but I'm assuming that you're no, with, uh, with Schwab, so I have some experience. It is. Uh, okay, so transferring money from Schwab back to Australia is actually really, really simple if you're oh, willing good. to make. Okay. I don't think you're going to say hard. <laughs> no, no, work. it's very, very simple. They, they'll verify okay. your identity. So you call them, and okay. you have to call them, verify your identity, right. and then you basically have to um, actually you have to fill a form. And once that de- detail okay. I think is available of your bank, they can right, transfer right. money to you in AUD. They will convert oh, it at Problem the wholesale solved. rate available nice, on nice, the day, okay. Okay. and they'll transfer it. And there is a fifteen dollar transfer fee which they waive. At least they waived for me two times in a row. Nice. So, so I'll basically, ask them nice. I'll say you sent me. Yeah. So, so the, <laughs> Charles Schwab has been fantastic uh, to me. Oh, good. You know, whenever I, whenever I call them, um, they're very courteous and they're very willing to help. And you know, so I, tra- I actually have the experience of transferring some money back here, and it was <laughs> seamless. And, and actually made sure that, you know, no U.S. dollar arrives at my Commonwealth bank account because mm-hmm. they're going to mm-hmm. pillage the, in me in the exchange. <laughs> I said, give me Australian dollars. I'm trying to avoid. I know. Well, because I'm with a credit union. They have to go through Amex on the way in anyway. You can't transfer from the U.S. to, to a, a credit union account. It's just, it's just a, it's a, it's an absolute mess, mate. That's why last time I had it. You know what I had to do? This is just real quick tangent. So they transferred the money in the wrong currency from our, our full business when we sold the shoulder shares to, the, to Australia. And so they couldn't, they either had to send it back to the fools, like we can't take the money, or they had to send it back to America, to Amex, get them to convert it and then send it back to me. And I was going to be charged as on a fee if they didn't do it and a transfer fee if they did do it. So I was stuffed either way. I was like, you know what? That is banking one If there's anything for banking disruption, no matter what I did, they were going to charge me a fee. It was like, you're, I'm completely stuck. I'm in purgatory and fees were the only way out. And it was just one of those scenarios where I was like, oh, come on, guys. You just, you're killing me. So this time I thought, I'll get around it. I'll go, I'll transfer it to Schwab. Uh, ironically, if I just transferred directly, the fee would have been less than the change in the exchange rate. So... As it, Murphy's Law, mate. It's completely my fault. The rate, <laughs> the dollar's gone up. As soon as I transfer the money, it'll fall back again. I promise. All right, let's let's move on from my issues and earnings. But thank you for the advice. I appreciate that. There you go. If you're a Schwab customer, or if you think about it, sign up with a US broker, they do have a twenty five thousand dollars minimum to open the account, which is stupidly prohibitive. But in any case, it seems like they're good to deal with with uh, with currency. So there you go. Hey, mate. Um, let's go to earnings. All right, earnings season is. Well, coming to a close, I, I, again, as I started with, I'm not sure whether to say thank goodness or unfortunately, because we kind of like earnings season. But can I tell you, we get these emails and they come through, you know, when the, when the, uh, uh, when the announcements are made to the ASX and some mornings, it is just an absolute, it's like trying to run through a treacle, isn't it, mate? Like the more you click on an email, by the time you finish reading it, another four have turned up. It's like, oh my goodness, this is just killing me. Um, so you kind of, we whinge about it what's happening. It, it means some long work days and a lot of work being put in. But the good news is that uh, is that we actually enjoy it. The bad news is it's coming to an end. This is the fourth of four weeks of February, so um, nice time to kind of have a think about this. We might we might chat again about it next week, mate, depending on how things finish up in the next couple of days. Um, pretty good earnings season thus far, would you say? It seems to have been goodish numbers, better than expectations for most, with a couple of notable exceptions. Banks have struggled, insurers have struggled, um, but broadly, do you have a do you have a vibe of uh, we, we, we don't really cover the index actually at the full so the companies we tend to look at aren't necessarily representative but do you have a sense either from yourself or from the market as a whole 
what you think of February 2021? Yeah, so sort of companies I tend to look at, you know, um, many of them have had actually great earnings, but I think mm. um, I, either more was expected or, um, you know, mm. so it's, yeah, so in terms of, so I haven't seen, like there have been great results, but in some cases- God, that's kind of frustrating, tell- isn't it? Isn't it yeah, frustrating when you, you come in your own or, or you recommend it like, oh, those numbers are great. That's yeah. And the shares now it's like, how do I finish the month behind despite <laughs> such great results from these bloody companies? Yeah, so Absolutely. we've seen some of that. And then there's been, uh, there's been like, there have been some really good results, uh, mm. really, really solid results, you know, like people <laughs> report, reporting. Yeah, and here's the funny thing, right? So there's a company, uh, it's, everything's about expectations, as you would say, totally. right? So there's a company we follow called um, IDP. Education, right? Okay. Now it reported everything was down as would be expected, right? Because it does <laughs> it does student placements and right. um, uh, English language testing, both mm-hmm. of which would be as you'd expect is yes. and global English language testing. So you both both of which you know um, you would mm. and global student placement as well uh, for international students to come to various countries like Australia, New Zealand, you know, Canada, the US, and UK, and things like that. So mm-hmm. of course you'd expect those things are down. You know, so when, when numbers are down to 30, 40%, you would not expect the share price to go up 15, 20%, but that's exactly what happened. So that's, there's a bit of a recovery uh, play at the moment where, you know, uh, companies such as IDP Education, which have like a relatively strong vote in what they do, um, mm. there's expectation there that as there's going to be pent up demand for the services that they offer as soon right, as there's right, an opportunity. Right. And therefore, people are sort of, you know, uh, I guess, you know, pushing up their prices. Um, but on the other hand, we have not seen that with some other companies happen where, you know, you would think a similar sort of place would, would happen because, you know, again, they should also benefit. Um, some companies have been hit by, for example, a stronger U.S. dollar. Uh, a lot of small cap Australian companies which have a majority of their earnings in USD uh, have seen their earnings sort of shrink because of the dollar acting against them. Um, course, so, again, yeah. yeah, so those, sort of, those are sort of some of the gen- genetic trends that uh, we've seen. Interesting, mate. Yeah, I um, I have been fascinated. It's so a couple of things for me. The first is I think I agree with you completely, mate. Like O Media had some terrible results. Shares were up like ten percent, and you kind of go, okay, well, you know, what, what do you do with that? You kind of neither was you know the, the results weren't unexpected. You do wonder what the market was expecting, though. I have to say, like it, you think, well, hang on, these were great results in other cases from some companies, and shares are still down six or eight percent. You're like, well, I mean, I get it, but. How much more could you reasonably have expected? Like, you know, and we, as you said before, it doesn't really matter. Like, we don't really care as long-term investors. But it is a bit frustrating when you think, hang on, twice a year we get to see kind of the, the, the report card and they're getting A pluses and, and mum and dad's still unhappy. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's not fair. That's not how this is supposed to work. So I think that that's absolutely true. Mate, I've, I, we'll talk about this as we go into some companies actually just now, but I, I've been, so the, the kind of amateur sociolo- sociologist, let me spit that out in me, really fascinating the way different businesses have been hit by COVID. And so there's the investment view. It's kind of the same thing, right? But it just, you know, if you'd, if you'd asked, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure if you'd asked me in January last year, hey, if we had a global pandemic, what do you reckon would happen to the market? What do you reckon happen to individual companies? How would this, how would it, how would it respond? And now you also got to factor in government responses and stuff. So it's not, it's not necessarily a pure, pure experiment, but if you, if you factor in, okay, let's assume the government would do something if it happened and how would it all work? The last 12 months have been like, you know, gut-wrenching and, and volatile and, and, you know, profitable and, and, and loss-making and all sorts of stuff. But also just really, really, really fascinating. And 
it, it, you know, just the, the, the impact on some businesses, you kind of go, okay, well, of course you'd expect that. Yes, of course you'd expect that tourism businesses are struggling. Of course you would expect that, right? Or, or advertising businesses are down. Well, yeah, fair, okay. If, if you know, the, the economy's plunged into recession, of course you're going to have less advertising and those things make some sense. We cover two companies. I'll get you to talk about one, I'll talk about the other, but um, A2 and Blackmores. Now, I won't get into Blackmores case specifically, but I will say that the commonality, one of the commonalities for A2 and Blackmores is the so-called Daigu trade, D-A-I-G-O-U, it's a Chinese word, um, and it's the, the suitcase trade, right? Expats who come to Australia and who send small or large quantities of product from Australian shelves, shopping shelves, literally, back to China for sales in China. And we kind of knew what happened. And Blackmores had a spectacular year four or five years ago with this. The shares hit 200 bucks a share. Like it was just, it was going to be everything. And then it kind of fell away. And we knew it had fallen away. And, you know, we know the sales direct to China for these companies. And we know the sales in Australia to these companies. We never really knew with any, any degree of confidence, how much of the Australian sales were these Daigu trades? It turns out, mate, and let's start with A2, we kind of have more sense as of this morning. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, uh, here's the interesting thing. I, with uh, A2, my original thesis was that they have a much stronger brand with a much stronger mm. local presence which, you know, because they are present in the mother and baby, you know, so they have mother and baby store presence, yeah. they, have, you know, they have their milk present on the shelves. So my sense would, be, would have been, or was, that they are unlikely to be hit significantly by Daigu because, right, right. because you know, if, if there's demand, natural demand for a product, um, then you would think that, well, if you have, if you have the distribution channels in place then you should be able to basically send those products mm. now um what i'm surprised is how much <laughs> daigu whether it's you know right. I, I don't know the, don't know the story that well for uh, for blackmores but it looks like daigu was again it looks like daigu's play daigu's are almost there are like there are suitcase traders who are suitcase traders but then there mm -hmm. are there are some Daigus who basically are organized companies, like you yeah, know, who yeah. basically are are corporations in their own right, yeah. who who organize with other people to carry the products in, and then they sort of push the product out. So it's it's like you know how much is push based marketing versus pull, you know, demand pull mm -hmm. versus push, right? So in this case, it appears like um, A2 is almost in the same boat in the sense that you know with the Daigu disappearing, that push from Daigu, which you know creates this need for products. You know, it creates a feel that this product is something that people should purchase. Um, mm. uh, has sort of has sort of vanished or disappeared, right? And that that is having a big impact on their results. So, like, I mean, this morning, the, this company, the A2, reported a 35% fall in net profits, which is you know pretty stunning and not unexpected, mm. given that you know there's you know there's always operating leverage in this. I mean, this business has good operating leverage, right? So, as uh, you know, typically the brand's business, right? There's a fixed cost for you know making sales and distribution and things like that. So the more you can sell, uh, you can amortize that cost, um, you know, over the larger dollars, right? So, yeah, uh, <laughs> this you know, the other thing that I think stood out this morning, and again, I, you know, I haven't had a chance to look through the full details. So this this is just what I've skimmed through uh, in the morning because we had an event in the morning. Um, the other thing that stood out is potential um, with inventory, right? So, okay. so if there, if there is inventory. You know, the company is basically saying that they've got some excess inventory or inventory sitting in the wrong places, which basically hasn't <laughs> gone through or hasn't Ooh. been sold, right? 
that's that's, a, that's not a good sign, right? That's no. a sign that again, maybe you know. Um, so you have all this stuff that you yeah. need to push is not being pulled in by customers. Um, Do you blame so, them in the sense that the revenue fell away and they kind of couldn't have expected it, a la COVID stuff, or is there something there that you kind of think? Was irresponsible or is just a risk that you now know about they two that you didn't know before that maybe you need to take more seriously? Yeah, so yeah, so I think in retrospect, I think, you know, maybe I overrated the amount of weight I put to the A2 brand, hmm. right? And I think this is my, uh, I guess, you know, maybe my general philosophy there being that is, you know, if you think about like Blackmore's, for example, would have a, it's a brand that's locally known, but that brand mm-hmm. shouldn't be, I guess, expecting that the brand delivers outsized sales mm-hmm. growth in other regions, maybe is, is expecting too much. And then expecting that, you know, there's a difference between Daegu sales, I guess, which is, I think, the important thing to realize here, that Daegu-driven sales are sort of very different from organic sales on the ground, mm-hmm. maybe because different customer bases, maybe because of the way it's marketed, maybe how it is felt, how it is treated by the consumers. You know, they get different markets. Right? China, China is a huge market with a lot of different things involved in it, right? So, uh, so I think I overbaked the the ability of the brand to actually sort of penetrate the market, and, and the lack of Daegu sort of showing that Daegu is a very important pillar. Um, in 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 the strategy, right? Which sort of again goes back to well, how strong is the brand if you need suitcase trades to? So that's you know that's a little bit of a huh, yeah. rhetorical question, right? If you need suitcase trades to drive mm. sales, mm. Um, you know you don't need suitcase traders to drive sales of iPhones. That just happen, right? Yeah, true, true. So I think that's that's a, it's something to think about. Again, I don't have a good answer for it, but I do I do worry. Um, that you know the the brand is not as strong, maybe positioned to make those sales happen. Maybe that maybe the distribution channels are different, and that you don't have though you can't compensate for the Daegu channel by um, by the other cha- traditional channels that are available to you. So therefore, you need the Daegu channel and the way things that you know. So China electronic, you know, cross border, for example, sales. Right? I mean, either you have to have sales there through, or you don't. And there's a large mm-hmm. chunk of sales that are happening there, which if they don't happen, they're going to become basically inventory sitting on the shelf in some sense, right? Yeah, it makes sense. I like that. I um, So let me talk about Blackmore's for a second. So A2 is a recommendation of ours, by the way, also at Share Advisor. So I share those comments. Um, Blackmore's I own shares in. So again, for full disclosure, it's it's been a fascinating... So again, I mentioned the COVID thing. And I think... So one thing I'll quickly point out, um, sales were down in Australia and New Zealand by 10% year on year. And that is exactly like A2... Partly the the Daegu sale. It's partly the, the the absence, and I'm sure it's not by the way a complete absence because I'm sure there are Chinese expats who are now permanent residents here who didn't go home. So the, the tourist trade they're missing out on. But as you say, mate, those businesses that are still here in theory are still sending product home to the extent that freight is available and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I think that's the first thing I'd probably highlight. This is not necessarily the whole Daegu trade, but it's certainly the travelling Daegu trade. The other thing for Blackmore, and this is again the COVID thing, right? So. The cold and flu season was almost non-existent this winter in Australia because of social distancing and masks and everything that we all went through. Blackmore sells a truckload of product that people take for cold and flu, echinacea and C and vitamin C and zinc and all sorts of stuff. 
And so they actually had a really, really terrible cold and flu season. And it kind of one of the, again, if you if you'd asked me to think about all the possible impacts of a pandemic, I would not have said. And blackmores will sell less vitamins in the cold and flu category this winter. Um, again, it, make, it makes obvious sense in hindsight. Look, well, of course that makes that makes sense. Of course that would be true. Now, it doesn't mean we should have done anything different with the shares, of course, because it was always going to be temporary and transient, and we're not traders, so we're not going to sell out in April and buy back in July or September when the when the flu season was over. Um, but it was just it was just an interesting reminder that those kind of weird things you don't necessarily always think about were, were true. Between Daigu and um, and the, the cold and flu season, sales around 10% in Australia. This is one of those ones, though, Doc, where you just say, A2 shares fell this morning. I haven't checked in the last hour or so as we record this, but fell this morning. Blackmore's shares were up meaningfully on the results because they weren't as bad as the market was <laughs> expecting. Again, that's one of those things where you – it was all that expectations, right? A2 was still a growth story. Blackmore's hasn't been a growth story now for a couple of years, and those who were still thinking it was going to be have kind of been, you know, weaned off Blackmore's over the last couple of years to the point where only the true believers or the, the you know, the the never sellers or the institutional holders or the families or whatever were left holding Blackmore shares. And so when it was kind of like, hey, this isn't as bad as we thought. Actually, maybe there's some room for growth. That's when people start to pay attention again. And this is also fascinating. So local sales down 10%. Sales direct in China up 27%. And so if you start to correlate those two, you start to say, well, hang on. And we'll never know this, right? But how much of those local sales in, in China would have previously been serviced by Daigu? Don't know. Uh, how much of that Chinese growth is ongoing? Don't know. And then as we've said with, we've said with Treasury and Bellamy's and potentially others over time, how much of that is vulnerable to a Chinese government just kind of going, ah, oh, you know what? Let's put a tariff on, on vitamins. And so these things are all really significant moving parts for the Blackmore story. And it does, rem- you know, just, just a reminder that the upside that we all, well, not all, but a lot of us see in international growth opportunities are absolutely there, but they're not without their potential risks, right? And that's that's, that's only been the Blackmore story. Now, shares were up. By the way, mate, get this. Um, the other reason shares were up, they're animal products. Blackmore's animal products, shampoos and conditioners and skincare and whatever other dog vitamins they sell, up 53%. So again, think about, think about um, the pandemic, right? What did we all do? Well, would you have said if there's a pandemic, we'll all go and buy dogs? No, that's what a whole lot of people did. We've talked, I think we've talked before, you know, I certainly have, I think on the podcast about the rising price of buying dogs. Um, we all went and bought dogs. And so those people who had the money, the interest, the inclination, the, the nesting, whatever, whatever happened during that year, apparently we all bought dogs and apparently those with dogs bought a whole lot more black boars. Um, I think uh, poor P-A-W, it's something animal welfare, or something, I can't remember what it's called now. Anyway, uh, Black, Paul by Blackmores is the brand and 53% growth in that one over the last 12 months. So I, you know, I, I, Blackmores is the, is the, the a reminder to me that no matter how much you think you know about how markets and consumers and customers and retailers and whatever might respond to, a, to a, an external shock, Blackmores is a reminder that you can never get it right. And I, I, I would have got that one wrong. I think just at every count, I probably could have guessed that lack of tourism might hurt Daigu sales. Um, but I probably wouldn't have thought about cold and flu. I definitely wouldn't have thought about us buying more dogs and spending a small fortune on um, special creams and skincare and shampoos and whatever else for our mutts while we were at home. So uh, just just a, a fascinating couple of stories to compare. As you say, A2, you know, disappointing results, shares down. Blackmore's disappointing results, shares up and a whole lot of stuff going on. It's just a very, very strange old world, isn't it? Can, can I just round up on uh, A2? A couple of th- I think one difference is A2, I think, again, downgraded its uh, full-year earnings. Mm, that's so that, that's that's, that, that doesn't help. But, but similar to, to, to uh, Blackmore's, right, the mm. Australia and New Zealand baby formula sales were down 40%. But, wow. uh, right, 40%. On yeah. the other hand, direct China sales were up 45%. 
And I'm going to say, man, I'm, I'm an optimist, right? <laughs> I own Blackmores and, and A2's at recommendation. So assume I'm biased in, in lots of conscious and subconscious ways. I'm actually kind of hopeful this is something of a base for growth, though. Like, it feels like it's kind of shook out those dis- not not even bad distortions because I mean who cares like with well, you sell direct to China or via Daigu it doesn't really matter the product gets sold it goes to a consumer it gets consumed they buy some more hopefully next year but it does feel like we're seeing some clean maybe clean is the best word we're seeing clean numbers for the first time in a while I think I agree with that so I, I think that's the thing too you know whether it's 27% or 30% growth for Blackmores in the China segment and I think that that's really useful for investors too like you know the China segment is actually the China segment not the Australian <laughs> Australian New Zealand segment that's like disguised as yeah. the China segment so yeah. it makes it useful and, and and so yeah I think there's some hope that uh, the footprint for example for A2 in the mother, mo- yeah. mother and baby stores went up to 20,000 sites from like 19,000 something so yeah. you know again there's some there's some hope uh, some there, signs of traction. So, some signs of traction, <laughs> but it, it is like still mind-boggling how much of that ANZ sales <laughs> were yeah. not for ANZ. Like, I mean, you know. Totally right. It's bizarre. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, um, let's stick with some COVID-impacted businesses. We're going to focus almost exclusively on those this week. Uh, Nanasonics. It sells a device that disinfects ultra- ultrasound probes. Um, really, really specific piece of kit. Does a great job, apparently. Does a better job of doing it than the traditional methods of, of dunking and disinfectant solution other things. So, in theory, gold gold standard. Uh, it is actually the standard of care in some jurisdictions too. So, it does... It does some things reasonably well. It is has been growing. Um, it seems like, objectively, it's probably the best in its field in what it does in terms of that disinfection success. Now, it's not cheap and you have to buy the ongoing solution. So there's reasons why if you're a healthcare facility, you may not want to necessarily you know, hook yourself up with a, an ongoing cost. But the, the it seems, thus far at least, that it's at the top of its field, probably none better and probably, you know, it probably is standalone best, we think. That being said, it also had a really, really tough year. And again, first blush, you say, hang on, <laughs> we're, we're trying to kill an infection here. We're trying to stop this virus. Who wouldn't want disinfection you know, protocols to be improved and, and new machines bought and, and all that kind of stuff? And yet, Nanosonics had a really tough year. Yeah, like, I mean, that's, that's you know, this one, I think I could still understand the ratio. One of the things with, with new things is new processes, right? So you have to get the hospital uh, staff, committee, whatever it is, whoever has the budget to actually approve the sale. They need probably a presentation. Ah, bureaucracy. Um, and it's a bureaucracy. <laughs> and there's a, it's not that, you know, it's not that there is no infection control today, right? We have very good infection control in hospitals, right? So we do have systems in place, which basically means that we have to replace existing systems, right? Mm-hmm. So unless there's a burning need, uh, these are improvements that we definitely want in our system, but you know, in during a pandemic, they can be the second. You know, they can be relegated to second or third spot <laughs> in terms of importance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No face-to-face meetings makes it harder to sell these things. So it doesn't. Sell, I mean, you know, their revenue was down. Uh, yet, um, I think what we can see is, uh, I think there was an interesting graph that the company released. Uh, which was to basically show the number of new units that they have sold over the last four quarters, right? And you can mm. see a trend, like, you know, the third quarter of 2020, they sold some, they sold a lot less in the fourth quarter, which was probably the most impacted, and they started seeing some, you know, bounce back in the first quarter of the year, 
2021, and the second quarter was even better, uh, substantially better. So I think I, you know, this is very believable in terms of real impact of the pandemic. Um, again, as you said, you know, uh, largely regarded as gold standard by certain uh, uh, of the the colleges that are responsible for, mm-hmm. you know, sort of promoting these sort of technologies. So uh, again, long runway and so on. But yeah, this one got really sold hard by the market um, on the results. You know, again, this was one of those that was, I guess, priced. I guess the expectation was the results are going to be better than they looked, <laughs> and probably, yeah, so but got sold hard. <laughs> This one did get so hard, man. I've, I've, so this is a recommendation of ours. Um, now, it also bounced hard, right? So this is, this is again, one of those things where it's worth being mindful. In November 2020, it was selling for five bucks a share. It went to, from $5 a share to $8.20 a share in two months. So that's mm. almost 60% gain. And it's lost about a quarter of that on the way back down again. So to some degree, I'm like, ah, well, it's not easy come, easy go necessarily. But I, I, I'm not exactly sure. You know what I find weird? And this is, I'll, I'll rant about this in a minute, but... I'm not exactly sure what the market was expecting. As you say, mate, I, this wasn't a surprise to me at all. Um, this is one of those COVID effects I could have absolutely seen. On one hand, you say, hang on, we're in this infection business, surely you want our business. On the other hand, let's say you're the nanosoc sales rep, right? You knock on the front door of the hospital, hey, mate, um, look, you have time to talk about this thing? The guy's got, you know, behind a mask, and say, mate, we deal with this bloody COVID crisis. Can you please pee off and come back in a couple of months? Mm. Like, it, you know, I have to say, I'm not, I don't know what the market honestly expected. They probably draw a straight line between, hey, medical crisis, medical device maker, therefore great. Mm. Um, now, I'm not saying the market should, shouldn't have, I'm not saying the market should have flown through the roof on, on the news, but it kind of, I just, I'm not exactly sure who was surprised by this, right? Like, who's, who's got the time? As you say, there are, already, there are already protocols in place. This is probably better. I think it actually is almost absolutely better. I think it's reasonably okay to say it is better. Um, but it's not like the current ones are terrible. And it's not like they're not bloody busy doing everything else, trying to get beds and staff and, you know, PPE and all the stuff that goes with this. I'm not surprised in the slightest. I said, mate, I know and I get it and I'm happy to chat. You've got to come back next year. I, like, I can't, I can't see you now. It just doesn't surprise me in the slightest. So the market kind of getting disappointed through most of last year. I mean, it's... This is like it's, it's you know going to the graph justice as you said, but you know in 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 June it was seven dollars thirty, then it was five dollars by November, then it was eight dollars. Now it's back to six bucks, and I'm kind of like, what 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 did they think has changed since March? Yeah, you know, for me like this is a holding pattern expectation at best. Whatever the numbers were, were never going to be representative of regular ongoing demand. It was always going to be a hey guys, come back and see us in twelve months time and see how things are. Um, and I think this is a this, this is a buy for us at ShareAdvisor. It's I'd, I'd be really happy with any of our listeners buying the shares today, as always in a diversified portfolio, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I see no reason. Everything that was going for it twelve months ago, yes, it's been a twelve month lag, and that probably costs something if you're wanting to discount the cash flows, as the the boffins say. But other than that, I, I see no reason to dislike it. And every reason to think, hang on, post pandemic, every every hospital, every system that says, let's just do a quick, you know, now it's over. Let's go back and reassess our infection control procedures. I got to figure this is. I'm not going to say a boom in, in sales, but you got to figure that this is one of the one of the companies on the list of hey, we can we can solve this problem pretty quickly with an anisotic type solution, can't we? Yeah, I think I agree with you, mate. Let's um. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm going to take it and go before you change your mind. Uh, let's talk about a couple other companies. Um, actually, one one of one you like and you cover EML Payments. Um, this is a this is a reloadable gift card company, or generally considered to be such. Um, had a pretty good set of results. Yeah, so like they do a bunch of like you know they do reloadable gift cards. So actually, that that's the part of the business 
uh, uh, they call it general purpose reloadable, which is basically gift, not just gift cards, but these are basically credit cards that are reloadable. Um, yeah, right. You know, you could use these. These are also the cards that are sort of used for playing like these games, like wagering games and things like that. Okay. It also does things like, you know, uh, management of salary, you know, uh, you know fleet, fleet cards. It also does things like meal entertainment cards and things like that. That's um, pretty cool. Right. It also does uh, the gift cards that you said that you know you can buy at uh, things like malls. So a whole bunch of different things, and it's basically like a, any other payments company. It is effectively a toll booth company, right? So it takes mm -hmm. a small cut of the payments that are flowing through um, its uh, its network, right? Now the the interesting thing here is that. Uh, this, this has been an acquisitive company which has been acquiring you know smaller pieces to sort of make its um, mm. segment grow and uh, or it, it diversify its earnings base I guess uh, or, it, or or the type of payments that are flowing through because you know you'll have a different like so if you're if you're just processing gifts for example gift cards then you might have a lower take rate than say if you are mm. um, you know processing something else right so actually this the, the actually the other way around <laughs> typically the gifts and incentives have a higher take rate uh, because oh. if you actually if you remember taking any gift card say uh, from your mall <laughs> uh, there's an upfront like fee of like five dollars right so if you if you're taking a fifty dollar gift card and you're paying a five dollar uh, fee on that that's a pretty substantive fee so the take rates on those exactly. are high uh, so it's a good business to have it's a difficult one to grow in a pandemic if malls and things are closed um, oh, right right uh, but so the sales almost to be is it impulse sale or is it just the fact that you're going to go and grab it there rather than you'll buy an online gift voucher instead so you're not going to access that particular company's products during that pandemic well like i mean you could however you do it if the malls are closed you can't spend it right yeah, so oh sorry, uh, sorry, sorry yes of course, of course yeah so you can't spend it and of course right. then a lot of the times you know you're not going out so you you can't even get if you're getting the card from the, the vending machine <laughs> at the mall you you can't do that uh yeah. the general purpose reloadable the interesting thing with that one is like a lot of say the wagerings and um, you know reloadable cards people are using them online and while the take rate is lower this is a little bit more scalable right because you don't have to physically go somewhere of course, uh, yeah. to sometimes use it so i think that, that makes their um, the, the take rate being low but it's compensated by the, the ability to scale so and then you know if you manage uh, Things like virtual accounts uh, and, uh, you know, so whether it's, for, you know, for things like fleets and things like that, th those, you know, probably have some intermediate um, uh, take rates. But, yeah, right, but, the yeah. but the interesting thing here is that the, the segment that was down was the gifts and incentives, which makes mm -hmm. sense because, again, uh, it was down uh, for obvious reasons, more closures, lockdowns and things like that. General purpose redoable, which we talked about, was up, but it was up also because of acquisitions that made um, a while ago. But overall, That's the cool. business uh, still delivered pretty uh, hefty growth in terms of um, the total payment volume going through the network, mm. right? So it, it had like close to $10 billion going through um, uh, its payment network or flowing through yeah, its payment network in the half year. Which is pretty impressive if you think about mm. it for a small mm. company. Uh, if you if you analyze that, that's a twenty billion dollar run rate, and, yeah. and that was up fifty percent over the last year. So that's pretty good. 
still generated operating profits, uh, you know, generated, you know, in, in net profit is, is, you know, lots of free, you know, operating cash flow in the business, mm-hmm. lots of, you know, so the, the business, still, in, in this one, actually, the market actually was happy and relieved with the results <laughs> and, and actually bid the shares up. But this, again, I think it plays in a nice area where there's, you know, general, general thing about going away from cash to electronic, mm-hmm. um, you know, diversification of the business away from just being Australia, New Zealand focused to having um, European and American presence. So therefore, it's a basically globally diversified, small, but globally diversified payments company. Uh, maybe maybe even you can call it niche, but growing strongly. Uh, and and the and, and Tom Cregan, the uh, the CEO, has led this or MD has led this business for a long time. He's done a good job of you know growing it from a small small uh, business to a you know much larger business now. But again, I think I think this this is doing well. I think and again, good results. And and I guess the market is just happy that you know maybe and they're also probably thinking that well everything was good and now maybe right. gifts and incentives can take uh, you know can actually start you know mm-hmm. spooling back up and and the take rates on that are actually very good so right. any growth there uh, would be you know like sort of you know um, additional bonus income that's going to come through to the company. I just love you know it's a really simple thing that's really almost unremarkable and you say it's not a massive company but. I love the fact that they managed to, you know, get, I'm old, right? So there was a time when you'd go to a, I'll say Brashes. Uh, you won't remember Brashes, mate. Um, it was at old uh, CDs and, and LPs, a music store, went broke. Um, and you'd get a gift voucher from there. They'd write, they'd write it out on a, on a gift voucher book and have a number and you'd walk away and you'd go back and spend it at some future point. Now, I use Brashes because famously they went broke and the gift vouchers weren't, uh, weren't on it. So there's that. Um, but the ability to create a category, not only for the retailers for whom the gift vouchers are, are purchased, so, but, but the retailers you get them from. If I go to Woolies and I go to the, you know, the front section, there's a whole load of gift cards there for other companies. So I buy JB Hofer a gift card from, from Woolies. And I just think it's a really, really cool little innovation. Like it's not, it's, not, you know, it's not changing the world. It's not new iPhones. It's not new electric vehicles. It's not new whatevers. It's just a really cool idea of, hey, here's a win-win-win for everybody. We will process this stuff. Woolworths, you can make some money selling a JB Hi-Fi gift card. Was I? Well, why wouldn't I? Like, it'll take up a little bit of shelf space, but there's no theft risk because it's not loaded until it goes through the checkout. So great. Like, there's, you know, I put these plastic cards on the shelf that cost nothing inventory-wise. Great. That's a, that's a good deal. I activate it when I go through the checkout. I make some money. Great. JB Hi-Fi says, hang on. So you can actually get people to come and shop using my gift cards, but get them from Woolies and then eventually send someone to JB Hi-Fi. Great. It's just like, it's a really one of those really cool you know, and the, and the consumers and the, and the gift recipients are happy. It's like a four or five way win just from someone's insight that this is doable, right? A little bit of tech and a little bit of in, imagination. They've kind of created a brand new category that suits everybody. I think, it's a, I think it's, a, it's a really, really cool innovation. I just I just love that. It's like, we'll never talk about it again, right? In terms of, it'll never, never be in the, the realms of the CSLs or the Fortescues or the Cochleas or the, you know, whatever business is being built. And, you know, yes, the tech now is now pretty ubiquitous, but I just think it's really cool. Is that, is that okay. overstating it? Probably. <laughs> no, 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 I think that sounds cool, actually. Mate, um, let's talk about some uncool stuff, um, some losses this this week. The first, Qantas, billion dollars. Centre Group, $4 billion. I mean, okay, so airlines, yep, you get that. Of course, they're going to lose some money, but a billion bucks, man. Like, I didn't, I don't know what I expected. I don't, I don't cover it closely, but I've got to say that was much bigger than I thought. 
Centre Group, I thought was phenomenal. Losing, so it was $3.7 billion loss on the back of a $4.2 billion write-down on the value of those shopping centres. And I again, like, is it surprising? On one level, no, of course, because people aren't shopping as much and, and the rents were being collected and there was ongoing blues with premium investments and Mosaic brands and others. And I guess that makes sense. The Centre CEO says that people are now shopping back at numbers they were shopping at before the pandemic. I guess that's true. I had some anecdotal feedback yesterday that that seems to be some people's experience. But I got to say, mate, uh, well, the other thing is that that right now is all non-cash, right? So also, if, you, if you're a CEO, if you get that out of your way, it makes sure your metrics look better next year because you make the same amount of revenue on less capital because the capital's been literally evaporated, obliterated by the write-down. So there's, you know, if you're, if you're a CEO who's a little bit cynical slash self-serving, I'm not saying this is the true centre group at all, but a write-down, if you can get away with it, isn't the world's worst thing for future future CEOs and future earnings when it comes to a whole lot of metrics that us analysts like to put together. Um, I don't know, mate. What did you, what did you make of, of Centre and Qantas, the two very, very large numbers? Is there much more to say? Are there insights, thoughts, ideas? I don't have a view on on, on that to share other than whatever you've said. That's all very interesting. <laughs> it's been ugly, hasn't it, mate? The last, last one, very quickly, mate, was Invocare, and it's... It's always weird to talk about the death industry. Um, I, I noticed the CEO said something. That he was energised about his business. And I thought, uh, you, you kind of have to be, right? And if it was any other industry, it would be fine. It just, it just always feels a bit strange. Interestingly enough, though, mate, they... So, again, this is one of those COVID things, right? If you'd asked me in March, I would have said, well, funerals... People still die. Of course, it wouldn't affect Invocare. But it did because we couldn't go to funerals in large numbers, which is horrible for those people who were affected in those families. And I feel deeply for those people who missed out on on farewelling loved ones because they were in this horrible situation with lockdowns. Um, but it did hurt Invocare's business. Interestingly enough, man, this is probably the bigger one I thought, which is ongoing. Turns out more of us are getting cremated than buried. And that's actually hurting Invocare's business because it costs more, I didn't know this, to get buried than cremated. And so apparently, it's a long-term <laughs> secular headwind. And again, I, uh, it, you know, you can't know everything about everything. It is not one of the things I would have put in my risk factor questions. If you, if you see me list the top 15 risk factors for Invocare, I don't honestly think I would have said the secular move towards cremations is one of my top 15 risk factors. I don't know if it would have occurred to me. But it turns out this is one of the big things that's going to be actually pushing down on Invoco's earnings in the next couple of years. I, had, I would not have guessed that either. So that's, that, that is, that, that's news to me as well. All right, mate. We're almost done. I, I'm going to quickly jump on a high horse. And this is, I don't know if you have a view on this. You probably do. Friday afternoon, the market closes, right? We knew that the vaccinations were going to start on the weekend. We knew the vaccines were in the country. Monday morning, I own shares in corporate travel on Webjet. I'm, I'm stoked by this, by the way. But this is just boggles my mind. So Friday afternoon, the market closed. Everything's normal. Sunday, ScoMo gets a jab. Good, great. Glad the vaccines are rolling out. Super excited about that. Monday morning, travel stocks up 10%. Tuesday, <laughs> they're up another 8%. Now, look, I'm happy that I'm a little bit richer than I was on Friday afternoon. Don't get me wrong. What the hell was the market thinking on Friday afternoon that it suddenly realised on Sunday, oh, oh yeah, vac- oh, that COVID thing? Oh, vaccinations, yeah, that's a thing now. I, am, I, am I completely nuts about it? Like, I, I know market responds to information, but surely you can look forward two days and kind of go on Thursday or Friday. This is actually going to happen. If we think, frankly, they shouldn't have thought the shares are worth anything more anyway because they should have already factored this into the share price that at some point vaccinations were coming, at some point we vaccinated, whether it's, July, September, or December really is immaterial for long-term value creation for these companies. But even if, even if you allow for that, right, 
I don't know what they were thinking on Friday afternoon that suddenly Monday morning they had this epiphany that vaccinations were going to make a difference. Am I completely mad or is the market completely nuts? Well, I'll take a, uh, I'm going to take a happy middle ground here on this one. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm partly uh, mad, the market's partly nuts. Is that what you're going to say? Well, I'm not that, but, <laughs> but I mean, uh, you know, I'm going to bat for the fact that you have shares and that's good for you and, and good for shareholders. <laughs> so I think here's one thing, though. Uh, I mean, there was a little bit more clarity by, I guess, mm. Saturday or Sunday over the weekend in terms of the vaccination schedule. Yeah. There was a lot of cloud in terms of, you know, how many Pfizer doses are going to be available? Are they going to be available? Are they going to come? Uh, are they going to be sequestered in Europe from where they actually mm-hmm. arrived? Uh, how many more are going to come? When is AstraZeneca's uh, jab going to be ready? And things like that. There's a little bit more clarity, a little bit more timeline, uh, you know, saying that, well, by October, we should have everyone who wants to be vaccinated, vaccinated, or who, you know, everybody should have an opportunity by then at least. So uh, I think that is sort of positive news. Now, of course- Oh, it's positive, but it was gonna happen anyway. It wasn't like 18%. I'm I'm kicking myself now that I didn't buy more shares on Friday. If I knew that the market was gonna be so silly as to not factor any, like zero factor of that. You're right, you're exactly right, right? I completely agree. But for the market to not have included it at all and two days later to go, Oh yeah, we'll pay twenty percent more for corporate travel now because you know we've got some some. I I, I am mind blown, mate. I, I just am boggled, absolutely boggled. Well, you know, but be happy. You've got you know you're oh, I'm you're, happy. Uh, you're you're up eighteen percent. Yeah, and people oh. who follow those recommendations are up eighteen percent. That's great. Anyway, it's it's a little bit odd. Yeah, the other funny thing, if you have to talk about funny things, right? So if you're talking about, I think you're talking about corporate travel and WebJet, right? Correct. So they both have. So you, here's the funny thing: that the shares are going up based on what's happening in ANZ, yeah. uh, or actually Australia specific, right? But both yeah. of these businesses have significant um, exposure to other parts of the world. Correct. Many parts of the world were already vaccinating, so I mean, was <laughs> no. that uh, was that baked in or not? So I mean, you could argue always that oh. the market is sometimes nuts. Um, I'm going with that, I reckon. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> thank you, thank you for trying to at least restore some of my faith in some of the market. I'll, well, I'll, I'll take you know, that. You're up, I, I think you're up 18%. That's the most important point. I'll take it. I'll take it. Mate, so let's finish off with a quick dip into the mailbag. Question from Harrison. And I'm asking this one, mate, because it kind of reflects on our Nanasonics chat we had earlier. Some of it's already been answered, but I like the rest of his question. So here's, here's the question. Hey, Scott and Doc, I have a question regarding Nanasonics, please. I'm a holder and would love to hear your thoughts after their half year results. We did that. In particular, with regards to management's comments, I can look past, he says, their COVID-related issues, but the continued delay of further products and lack of information on them, despite a lack of a large increase in R&D costs, worries me. We've been hearing about it for ages with no fruit to bear. I see them being bigger and stronger in the long term. However, I can't work out if their currently 20 times sales valuation should be justified, especially if no further products do eventuate and they have to rely on future growth of their current products. Normally, I can decide whether or not I want to invest in a company based on what I perceive to be the risks and opportunities present. However, Nanasonics has me sitting right on the fence right now. Thanks, Harrison. And given the Nanasonics comments, but I like the idea. So he's talking about valuation, talking about R&D, new products. We didn't talk about that at all in our, in our commentary. I left that out because I thought Harrison's question was worth asking. Um, 
your th- Dixon, you have any thoughts on, on the valuation or the, the R&D pipeline, the, the, you know, the importance or otherwise of investing now based on what we know versus what we have to trust or believe or hope might eventuate? Yeah, so I, I think there's, so we can never know for sure, right? That's part mm. of investing is that you never know for sure. <laughs> exactly. Uh, 20 times sales is, you know, one way of thinking about it is expensive. Um, again, no doubt about that. If mm. you want to, you know, think in terms of that valuation metric. Uh, so uh, one of the things I like to think about here is some whether you look sort of at a track record of uh, the team mm. and what they've delivered in the past. And if they've delivered, you know, uh, leading edge solutions, then you kind of have to give them that benefit of doubt that, well, if they're saying that they've got other stuff in the pipeline, uh, of course, they're not going to show it to us when it's half-baked or not fully ready because, right. you know, you don't want to also give your competitors a leg up by, you know, revealing what you've got, right? So this, you know, it's a bit like, maybe this is a bit of a far-fetched analogy, but, you know, Apple never tells you what, what the next product is. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, and it's this competitive reasons for why you don't want to discuss the next product before before you make it because others can copy, duplicate, you know, and things like that. Yes, there's patent production and things like that, but still. So, so for, I think that's, that's that. Um, the other thing to think about is just the market size and how, of how much of it that is penetrated. So you could sort of make a case that maybe with just current Trophon, whatever it is called, Trophon 2, mm-hmm. um, then you could still you still have a significant opportunity with Trophon 2. And the other thing to realize is that while you're selling these, these devices, you're also making a play at consumables, which is basically sort of like a recurring revenue. So mm. there's, like there's, I don't know, there's, I think I would say that there's no such thing as certainty. We can't, ex- we can't <laughs> know whether right, Trophon right. 3 or whatever else it is, Trophon X, whether it's going to be successful. We, we mm-hmm. can't know that, but mm-hmm. we can, what we know is the history and we can sort of base our judgment on that. Of course, if I had to buy it and I had a choice, 10 times sales would be better than 20 times sales. That's like a, almost a given, right? Uh, but, you know, can, the thing to ask is, can this company be, say, a double in five years, mm-hmm. right? If it continues with its current products and its current trajectory, you know, and that's sort of, you know, that gives you a baseline to think about. I like that answer, mate. The, the one that really struck me was the middle one you mentioned about the, and this is what I've been trying to wrestle with myself. I've had the same questions, frankly, as Harrison. It's a really good one. Um, is how much trust do you give them and how much do you want to know? You know, the, 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 the per, in the perfect scenario, you trust management so much that you want them not to tell you as much as they can because you want to keep everything secret so that when it comes out, it's got the biggest possible opportunity, right? Like you actually don't want that to be leaked, as you say about Apple. Um, you want to say, you know what? I trust you guys are doing the right thing. I don't want you to give your competitors a heads up. Just do what you think's best and let me know when it's done. You know, let me know what's out. I'll be, I'll be stoked to see it. And you want that to be true. Then again, there are not many companies that deserve that much faith, that much trust, that much respect, that much whatever. Not because they're terrible people necessarily. Sometimes they are, but just because they don't, you know, they don't have those runs on the board. Trophon's got one and two out so far, and that's it. And so you say to yourself, "Well, hang on. Do I do I trust that this large R and D spending comes to something? I've invested in companies. Actually, I have no. I've recommended companies where you know they've R and D's come to naught." And they've had to write off the whole thing, and it's just completely actually blew up one of my investment theses for Hidden Gems when I was running that many, many years ago. Um, a whole R&D just didn't happen. And it was like, well, there goes that. Not only, have, not only have they got nothing out of it, the R&D has been wasted, and the business is worth a whole lot less just because that's all that's left. And that's very possible with Nanosonics. But as you say, mate, that's the, 
I think that's you know the the challenge of investing is is being okay with that uncertainty and also at a portfolio level remembering the bit of it is actually probably a good thing because for every Nanosonics plus Apple plus whatever else you add, hopefully over time most of them do well with most of their R and D and that's kind of the best you can hope for. That's that that's life, right? It's like a you know any any business trying you know to make mistakes or do things wrong. You just want to have enough of those in your portfolio that together they make sense. You're not going to get a, a, a perfect straight betting record with every single company every single time. Um, but if you buy enough of them and have have your portfolio construction roughly right, that's why I'm I'm still a fan of it. Despite that, I, I have to I am concerns probably the wrong word. I'm mindful and probably keeping an eye on future just to make sure this doesn't continue or get worse. Because at some point you have to say, all right, enough's enough, guys. I you know the trust run out. I'm not going to keep going. But for now, I'm giving it some rope with that with that proviso that I'm just going to keep a a little bit of a a close eye on it. What do you reckon, mate? Should we come back on Sunday with a mailbag episode? Oh, that's a, almost, a, almost a given, right? We, there, is a, there is a new acronym coming from one of our listeners. <laughs> there, there's a tease this Sunday, an acronym from one of our listeners who has, who has bestowed upon us a title, <laughs> an acronym. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know on Sunday, though. Uh, if you haven't seen this one yet, mate, I, I, it's on our mail. You probably have. It's on our mailbag uh, file. You'll, you'll see it if you scroll through it. In the meantime... Uh, if you want to send us a message, a question, a comment, if particularly if you want something answered on the mailbag, make sure you hit us up on social media. You can get us uh, on Twitter is the best place to get all of us because Doc is there at Anirban Mahati. I'm there at TMF Scott P. The Motley Fool is there at The Motley Fool AU. Instagram are the same. Doc's not there. But the other two accounts are exactly the same at TMF Scott P and at The Motley Fool AU or on Facebook. But back on Facebook. We got banned from Facebook. I didn't even mention that. I buried the lead. We got caught up in the news thing, mate. We weren't on Facebook for a while. That was bizarre. Anyway, so that, that's, that's a whole story. That's what happens when you're famous. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that, that's it. No, I'm not famous. Right? I was okay. The Motley Fool's account was caught up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can keep... Facebook went, oh, Phillips, no, he, no he's no worries. We'll, we'll get the Motley Fool's account instead. Um, so, yes, the Motley Fool's account was down. It is back now. The Motley Fool mm. Australia is the full mm. handle there. I'm Scott Phillips Money. I am, I have, I always been because I haven't yet seen fit to ban me because... I'm just not that important, it turns out. How's that for the ego? Not great. And if you want to email us, you can info at fool.com.au. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. Actually, no, we won't. We'll be back on Sunday. Mm. <sighs> Two days' time. Hold, hold your horses, Fools. Almost there. Only 36 hours to go. See you then. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.